When you think of the SAT or the ACT, do you kind of shiver and feel a little anxiety? I know that I have. I remember looking back to my SAT days, and it's not with particularly fond memories, even though I did fine. And so as homeschool parents, it can feel overwhelming. It can feel a little nerve-wracking even to think about preparing our children. And, and, you know, even when they're young, there are things that we can do. So if you have ever wondered, you know, well, I need scholarships, but my child has ADHD or dyslexia, or my child's a bad test taker. Today, I have Dr. Kelly Frindell, and she is going to share her secrets to success to the SAT and the ACT. So we can begin to understand the process for what to do to make these tests work in our favor, and we can lose that anxiety. Hey mamas, welcome to Her Home and Heart Podcast. Do you want balance in your home life and peace in your heart at the end of each long day? Do you want to let go of feelings of failure because you've yelled at the kids again despite promising yourself and God you'd stop? I'm Katie. I'm a homeschooling mom who also had little kids and wanted to create a thriving home environment. In this podcast, you'll find resources for holistic living, heart connection with your family, and homeschooling so that you won't wake up to regret one day. Even if you have outside-the-box learners or your own health challenges, you'll find support here. Breathe deeply, grab a coffee, and let the kids go play, because it's time for you to find peace and fulfillment that you've been longing for. Let's go! I keep hearing over and over from you, I need more energy. I need more clarity. I really just want to start to feel good. Oh, I remember those days so clearly, and I'm so glad I'm not there anymore. I am so excited to share with you my best kept secret for how I'm able to maintain the energy level and the clarity level that I need to be able to homeschool my kids, work on this podcast, and accomplish the things in life that I love. I have discovered that there is a scientifically proven herbal activator that is backed by so much independent research that even a skeptic like me was able to be convinced. It reduces inflammation. The inventor of this won a major award that incredible scientists like the Wright brothers, Marie Curie and Alexander Graham Bell also won. It's absolutely amazing, considered to be a medical breakthrough that is not sold in stores. However, you are able to access it through the link that I have here in this description of this podcast, or you can go to familysuccess.lifevantage.com. If you want to ask me any questions about this, I'd absolutely love it. Please just go to the link in the same description for SpeakPipe and you can reach out to me there or come and join the Facebook group and let's talk about this. This is one of my passion topics. This is something that a very rare few things that I can stand behind, I stand behind this one. And I would love to talk to you about it and share with you how it has impacted my life as a mom and how it's impacted my children's lives. It has truly changed us for the better. Go and check it out. This week, I am super excited to introduce you to Dr. Kelly Frindell. She has in-house test prep, which is her brainchild, and she started it in 2007. She began her career helping students prepare for tests way back in 2001. So for over 20 years, she's assisted students in achieving test success and providing students with the tools to get into the schools of their dreams. 
She graduated with honors from Trinity University with a BA in psychology, then obtained her PhD in public health from University of Texas. After gaining invaluable experience with various institutions, she started in-house test prep in 2007. She is an expert in test prep styles, techniques, and study materials, and her love and passion is to help students exceed their ex expectations, and that is the driving force behind her company and her success. And Kelly, I'm so excited you're here today. <laughs> me too. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. So many parents, whether they homeschool or not, really dread testing. And, you know, depending on the states that homeschool parents live in, testing can be either almost a yearly thing or it can just be um, certain times of life when kids get a little bit older. And so a lot of anxiety can be there, not just for the kids, but for the parents. And that's something that you specialize in. So I'm really looking forward to your wisdom on this. <laughs> so I know that you and I, when we were talking last, were discussing the the validity and value of tests. What do these tests mean and what do they not mean? And so I really want to dig into that with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's a really important question because that is something that is confusing often to parents and to students. And there is this big myth about the SAT and to a lesser degree, the ACT, but really in our society, SAT has been the big one. It's in movies, it's in magazines, it's the plot lines of stories. Everybody knows you have to take the SAT and, oh, it's scary and it's going to say what's going to happen with the rest of your future. Or it's an IQ test or it says how smart you are or says something about you. And none of that is really true. For for the entrance exams for college, so the big ones are SAT and ACT, and they're just from competing companies. So there are two different tests that do similar things with each other. They're just different brands. There's often a belief that these are IQ tests, that they are measuring how smart you are, or how smart your child is. And they're really not. They're not IQ tests at all. And they're not even aptitude tests. The SAT, a long time ago, SAT used to stand for Scholastic Aptitude Test. And they actually had to stop calling it that because it's not even an aptitude test. So now SAT just stands for SAT. It has no inherent meaning. But what the tests are, they're really just a measure, they're a snapshot of what's happening on any given day on this particular set of information, because they do test their own particular things. And when your child gets a test score, it's tempting to say, oh, this is a, a prognosticator of how you're going to in the future, or if you're going to succeed, or if you're going to be homeless and out on the street and not have a job and die unhappy. And it's really not that. It's just information. And it's just, it's skills that somebody picked out that they said, we think these skills are important and we're going to measure them. And sometimes I know my students really get caught up in thinking, this is a measure of my self-worth. Like if I get a bad math score, it means I'm a bad person. And I hear that. They're like, well, or they come to me and they see their siblings who walked in and got almost perfect score without studying. And then they've taken it and they're a different person. They have different skills and abilities and they've scored lower. And they will say to me, they're like, what's wrong with me? Why am I dumb? And I have to tell them, you're not dumb. It's possible, A, you're either missing some skills, B, this isn't your particular strength, or C, you just haven't learned how to do it. And that quite often, it's a combination of all of those things. Yeah, I think that you hit a, hit a really big point there that there's a misconception over the test itself and people not really understanding how or why it was created, defining, people seem to think it defines something totally different than what it was made to do. Right. And we take it so personal. And I think yes. sometimes even parents get that way. Even the parents misunderstand it because it was never explained to us. Mm -hmm. And so I think that is so valuable to know that it doesn't mean 
anything about you. So can you explain like, what does it mean? What is this for? So that people get a big picture idea of what is this? Yes. So the those tests are admissions tests, the SAT and ACT. And what they're used for is to help people get into college. It gives colleges a way to sort and to rank people and to give them an objective measure of as a way to, to compare people, basically, because if you have one student who has a 4.3 and another one who has a 3.8 at a highly prestigious boarding school, it, it's difficult to compare those grades necessarily because you don't know what they mean. At one school, everybody has 4.0s and at another school, nobody does. And so colleges do have information about different school schools and their difficulty level and things like that. But the test scores do give away to compare people that are objective. There are criticisms about the test, and these are valid criticisms, too, that they're unfair because they cater to people who have the resources to prepare for them. And there, there's a valid argument to be made for, for that. But there are materials now that are out there that are free and available to everybody. The College Board, which is uh, the SAT's parent company, they have an agreement with Khan Academy, which is K-H-A-N, and they've got all kinds of free materials on their website, both to prepare and practice tests. ACT has got some of its own materials out there. So there are ways for people to prepare if they know how to look for it. So there are there are valid criticisms about the test for sure, but it does give schools a way, it gives them, gives them more information about where people are at and some of their skills and that sort of thing, but it's still not an IQ test. Yeah, so I want everyone to hear that. It is not an IQ test. <laughs> exactly. It's really important. So for the mom who's listening, whose kids are younger, maybe her oldest is 10 or 12, what kind of things should she know about this now to help her prepare if she's homeschooling the kids? And, you know, maybe this child has a drive to become a doctor or a lawyer or one of the things that really does require sincere college preparation. Mm -hmm. Um, What could she begin to do? So one of the things that I tell parents when they ask me that, because I do sometimes have parents come to me when their kids are 10 or 12 or in eighth grade and they say, we want to start preparing for the SAT. And what I usually tell them is it's too early to specifically begin preparing for the SAT. And especially, and I think we may talk about this later, the SAT is going to be changing in the next year or two. And so it's doubly not worth it to start studying early. But what you can make sure is that your child is on top of their basic skills. And something that I've seen, and this may not be as relevant to parents who who have been homeschooling for quite some time, but if you have a child who was in public school or private school in the last few years, what I'm finding, as is everybody, is a lot of people missed a lot of skills and a lot of learning. And so what I'm finding now is many of my students don't have the math skills that they need to be successful on these high school tests because a lot of them missed fourth, fifth, and sixth grade or second and third grade or sixth and seventh grade and really important math happens during those years. So what I would say is most important right now when your child is younger is make sure they really have a solid grasp on their math skills to make sure they know their times tables, that they know the procedures for long division and multiplication, how to add fractions and multiply because those skills build on each other. And if you don't have the foundation now, math does not get easier as you go on and it just gets harder and harder and sometimes you can kind of fake your way through the grades because some of the topics seem kind of disconnected you've got algebra and you've got geometry but if you don't have the bigger picture it will catch up with you when you get to those tests 
So I'd say really making sure that you're being honest about your child's skills and what they're doing and to intervene if you need to. Like I'm a big fan of if your child needs help that you can't provide. And I mean that in all senses, school, sports, art, anything, go find somebody else who can help with that because it is so important to make sure those skills are there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, if the parent feels confident and knows that they have been preparing their child in these very foundational and important ways, mm-hmm. then their child will feel more comfortable too. Because if exactly. the parent isn't anxious, that's gonna, you know, yes. transfer that confidence. So mm-hmm. and so the we, other thing that I would recommend too is really making sure that your child is reading because there is a lot of reading comprehension on the test. And that's one of the harder parts of the test to change because test prep doesn't really address reading skills. It addresses how to take the reading section of a test better. And so making sure your child is reading is, and they don't have to be reading high level things, just any reading, any reading is always good. So if it's a cereal box, if it's pamphlets, if it's comic books, all kinds of things, there are, there are lots of ways to make sure your child's being exposed to literature. Mm -hmm. And comprehension is something that is so important, especially if a parent isn't homeschooling. I think for us with homeschooling, it's easier Mm -hmm. to understand what your kid comprehends because we have all these intentional opportunities that we create to hear what they've learned and to really dig in and understand. And for me as a parent who homeschools, that's a lot of my evaluation is knowing what they've comprehended in any subject that I'm talking about. But so for a parent whose kid is, you know, maybe going off to private school or public school, I think it's a really important thing for them to touch base with their child there and be in touch and in tune with what they're learning So they really can know that their kid does comprehend because something like dyslexia, for example, Mm -hmm. is not taught, you know, very smart child, but I have a dyslexic daughter, very smart child. But when she reads, at least in the past, it was really difficult to comprehend Mm -hmm. because there was so much work on the reading itself that the comprehension wasn't there because all her focus was on just doing the actual act of reading. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's actually, you reminded me of something important. I have a lot of students who come to me in sophomore year or at the beginning of their junior year, and they tell me, they say, well, I suspect I might be dyslexic, or I suspect I might have ADHD, or their parents tell me that sometimes they both do. And when people tell me that, what I usually encourage them is to go ahead and get tested with psychoeducational testing. You can do it through a psychologist to find out if there is something going on, because if there is something going on, it's not going to go away just because you're ignoring it. And it will probably just like we were talking about math doesn't get any easier. School doesn't get any easier as you go along either. And sometimes people have been able to kind of work this, not work the system in a bad way, but they've been able to do extra credit and they've been able to correct their test. And so they've been able to navigate a way through school up until they get to this test. And then it's the first time they cannot compensate in the ways that they have been compensating. So if you do suspect something might be going on with your child, I say find out. And if if you do testing and find out nothing's going on, great. But if there is something, then you can do something about it. Mm -hmm. And usually that would be accommodations, right? Besides extra prep and extra tutoring. Sure. Yes. So, so you can, there are interventions that can be done. Certainly like if you find out your child has dyslexia, there are dyslexic specific interventions and I'm not well versed in them because it's not what I do, but I know they exist and you've probably found some with your daughter. But then also the other reason to have that paperwork on file is because you can seek accommodations for the test. And one of the big accommodations is a time accommodation where your child will get extra time to take the test. So instead of regular time, most kids get Uh, one and a half times. So if it's a 30 minute section, they'll get 45 minutes to do it instead. And sometimes people are hesitant 
hesitant to do that because they're like, I don't want my kid to be stigmatized or I don't want them to be penalized for something. And it is no longer reported on the score reports whether the student had extended time or not. They used to do it and then I think they got sued for it or they had to legally stop doing it. So they stopped. So schools won't know if your child used those accommodations. And my personal belief is if you if you legitimately qualify for an accommodation, why not use it? Because, you know, there are some people definitely who game the system and that's kind of gross and I don't support that. But if your child legitimately needs extra time or needs extra help with something, why not give them the ability to do it is is kind of how I feel about that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you qualify and that's legitimate and you need to you need to level the playing field because otherwise you won't be testing fairly if you don't Mm -hmm. allow those accommodations. So, yeah. So you said that a lot of things had changed. During COVID, kids had missed some of their skills, but also mm-hmm. tests, I think you said, are changing or colleges have changed. Can we talk yes. about that? Mm-hmm. So prior to the pandemic, there was a trend where some schools were going what's called test optional, which is just what it sounds like. You get to decide whether you want to submit your test scores or not. And there there was a it was slow, but it was happening. And I've known for a long time that was that trend was coming. But COVID really sped it up because what happened is that first year of COVID in 2020, when when everything shut down in March of that year, all the tests got canceled. And just like everything else got canceled and you could not take an SAT or ACT. There was one in February before everything got super crazy. And then nothing happened until at least November of that year. So the kids who were seniors and who were applying, a lot of them had legitimately had zero opportunity to take a test. And so at that time, almost all the schools, there were a few exceptions The in Florida, they didn't ever change. They still required schools, but almost every other school went to test optional and said, you can submit them if you want. If you don't have them or can't get them, you don't have to. And some of that was temporary. Some of the schools said, this is very clearly just a, a one-year thing. We're going back to normal next year. And they did. Some schools said, we're going to try a three-year experiment and see what happens. And a, a lot of schools are getting to that end to the end of that three-year experiment. And some of them have said, we're going to continue it. Some of the schools have said, we're doing this permanently. And some schools have said, nope, we're going back to test scores. Like MIT just came out recently and said, yeah, we're requiring scores again after this. And so there are, I saw a statistic the other day, I think, I can't quite remember, but it was either 800 or 1200 schools have gone test optional. And that's, that's a lot of them. And one of the things I think it's really important for parents to know and students to know is that test optional is sometimes more like, quote, test optional. So some schools really mean it, but some, if you look at their data, which is starting to come out now about their admissions for the last few years, it's very clear that they were heavily preferring students who did submit test scores. And so I have some students come to me and they're like, well, if it's optional, why should I take it? I'm not going to do it. Like if I get to choose, of course, why would I spend time on this? And it's really important that people know there, there is more nuance to it than just you get to decide or not. Because There are schools that really are heavily still weighting people with scores and some scholarships still depend on test scores as well. And that's even at schools that aren't requiring the scores, some of their merit aid. Sometimes you still need a test score. Some of the state scholarships, like I know in Florida, they have the Bright Futures scholarship. And if you get, I think on the SAT, it's a 1330, you get tuition for four years if you have this test score. And that that's one of the criteria you have to do it. And I know Georgia has other similar scholarships and some of the states do. So before you just write it off, you do need to 
to research the schools you're interested in or that your child is interested in and find out if if your child really needs to take it or not. Okay, we've got to talk about that a bit more. Scholarships. That sounds like yes. a, full, a full ride for four years for some of these schools, if the score is good enough. Some of them are, yes. Some of the state scholarships. And it's not always room and board, but tuition. Some states do have room and board and tuition. And those guidelines are usually very clearly published on state websites. And if you Google your state and scholarship or uh state scholarship, you can usually find out if your state has one or not. But that's worth finding out because like I just had a student in Florida and he had scored a 1290. He was a senior. He'd already put in a lot of work for it. He didn't really want to keep going, but his mom really wanted him to because he just needed a few points back to get this scholarship. And we worked together and he he took the test and he got exactly a 1330. And so he he now has tuition for four years, and that's a big deal. And it, if he hadn't known to think about that, he he would have just stayed at his twelve ninety. And this he comes from a big family. This will change his family's life, and it will change his life. And that was because of test scores. That was that's the one criteria he didn't have. And once he got it, he automatically excuse me automatically qualified for it. That is tremendous. So through learning how to test better, right, through having mm-hmm. the support, that's how he was able to increase that score? Mm-hmm. Yep, because we did some private tutoring together. And he had already done some with somebody else, but I was able to give him a few extra tips and hints and different ways to look at things. And it was enough to tip him over. Wow, that is incredible. What a gift. I mean, these days, college tuition, it is no joke. I mean, it is no joke. It's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, it's heavy. So that's humongous. I want to sincerely invite you to come over to Facebook and join our group and our community. I would love to carry a conversation with you over there and interact with you and have you get to know the other beautiful families that are inside of our private community. Go to the description. You'll see a link at the very bottom where you can easily click and go ahead and join our group. I look forward to seeing you inside. You are not going to want to miss part two of our time spent with Dr. Kelly Frindell. She is going to unravel what to do if your child isn't a good test taker. How long are the scores good for? What if our student wants to take a gap year? And so many other secrets to helping your child perform at his or her very best on these tests. No more mystery and no more fear over this one. (laughs) All right. See you there. Thanks for listening and spending time with us today. If you know anyone who could benefit from my mom's podcast, please share it and leave a review so others can find us too. See you next time.